0: Today we are going to continue our series in Philippians, studying the faith of an underdog. Christians are secure in the love and work of God and find our significance in serving him, finding our purpose in participation with God's glory story, the church, and God's purposes for the world. Are you looking for security and significance? Hear now the word of the Lord. lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. All flesh is grass and all of its beauty is like the flower of the field.
1: Please keep them open. If you do not, I invite you to open them to Philippians 2. We will be looking uh, into the passage together as we continue our series, uh, Underdog Faith. Uh, We are glad to be together, aren't we? It is a joy to worship together. uh, And I'm glad you're here. I add my greetings to what you've already heard. Uh, We have been studying Philippians 2, uh, just by way of reminder. And Philippians 2 uh, highlights two specific things. First, The security that we have in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Secondly, the significance that we have as His people in and through that finished work. uh, As Christ has loved us, so we have the opportunity to love one another. Um, We have used an acronym to highlight the work of the Lord that is described specifically in chapter 2, verses 6 to 11. Uh, we've used the word love. Can you spell love for me? Can you spell love? That's good. We talked about how Jesus Christ historically left the throne room of heaven. He came to earth and he took the form of a man. He became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. He, V, voluntarily gave his life that you might live. He died so that you could have life. He was wounded so that you could be healed. He took your sins so that he could give you his righteousness. And then E, he has been exalted to the highest place. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven. He sits at the right hand of the Father, L-O-V-E. This is a historic and objective reality. I am not concerned whether or not you feel loved. I am concerned whether or not you know you are loved. Because Scripture is clear that nothing can separate you from the love of God. There is no difficult circumstance, no unanswered question, no polarized culture, no poor economy, nothing in life, nothing in death, nothing that's seen, nothing that's unseen, nothing that's visible, no angel, no invisible principality, no authority can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. It's the truth. And I want you to know it. So does Paul. But from that truth, we find our significance, what Paul talked about last week in verse 15, connecting to this larger story that we are shining stars in a dark world. Straight, glowing for the glory of God in a crooked generation and world. Uh, People in our culture who uh, are psychologists or different leaders uh, use this biblical paradigm Guy Larry Crabb says that if humanity is going to flourish, if you are going to be your best you, you need two essential ingredients security and significance. It's exactly what the gospel gives us security in God's love and significance in using all we have for God's glory, especially in dark winters. Everybody's got a role. I'm reminded of the importance of this by uh, a a famous story about a ship called the Endurance um, headed up by a guy maybe you've heard of him his name is Sir Ernest Shackleton Shackleton every time I say it I feel like that Swedish chef from the Muppets crunchy stars crunchy stars Shackleton Shackleton I don't know he was British I, I get a Swedish accent in my head go figure Crazy times, aren't they? Uh, but he had 27 sailors, and for some reason, he wanted to be the first group to walk across Antarctica. More power to you, right? So he had this boat that he left off an island off uh, the coast of South America, and they went down. This boat uh, was built to go through ice, to just drive through ice, to get as close as they could to land so that then they could walk across the South Pole. What this boat couldn't endure was ice developing around the boat uh, and from freezing it in. And that's exactly what happened to Sir Ernest Shackleton, Shackleton, Shackleton and his 27 crew in the coldest part of the world off the coast of Antarctica. The boat froze and it was dark and it was cold. Sir Ernest Shackleton is famous because every one of his crew members survived this three year ordeal. How did they make it through the stormy cold frozen season everybody had a role uh, Sir Ernest Shackleton uh, is noted because from the first day of being frozen in, he made sure every one of his crew continued their normal duties. If you had to swab the deck, you had to swab the deck. If you didn't have a duty that could be done, you had to clean the ice from the side of the boat. People went off of the boat. They looked for food. If you were a scientist on the expedition, then you went out and you looked for specimen. This continued through the spring, through the summer, into the next winter, and they realized they weren't going to get off, and the boat you know, moved from being frozen to totally fragmented and sank so they got a lifeboat and they went to the nearest island off the coast of Antarctica, not a place you want to go on vacation or stay for the next 2 years. And when they got there, Sir Ernest Shackleton, 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 made sure that every one of his crew had a specific role. Every person mattered. There was no non-essential person. And because of that, everybody felt significance. And they survived the impossible. Here's another aspect of this I uh, love about Ernest Shackleton. Shackleton, right? Not only did he successfully transition a mission of exploration into a expedition for survival, but he transformed that into a pilgrimage. He kept saying to his crew of 27, I'm gonna get you home. You're gonna get home. On the coldest nights, you're gonna get home. In the darkest days, you're gonna get home. And he kept hope alive. You see, what the gospel gives us during seasons that are really cold and often dark, and we wonder if we're gonna move from frozen to fracturing and even be able to float at all or even make it through the storm, the gospel gives us a deep security, something more powerful than the word of a bold explorer or ship captain. But it's the power of the word of god in his finished work you are secure and you belong to him and more significant than swabbing the decks or knocking ice off or going and hunting for food more essential is the gifts that he has given you and you finding your significance in every aspect of your life every person in here using your gifts to further his glory story this is the opportunity that we have to shine like stars and in god's story that The difficulty is that many of us freeze during times of winter, don't we? And in seasons of darkness, we look for light in places that aren't really the light and hope of the gospel. We have a tendency to disregard the promises of God, the person of God, the word of God. And uh, we find ourselves depressed and discouraged uh, and even um, wondering if we can press on. But there is a promise of the gospel. You're secure in him and we are going You see, this is the first point that we're going to look at today as we look at this passage uh, of Scripture. It actually comes from the beginning and the end uh, of this pericope, this section. Uh, the, The first thing we're going to see is that our participation, the purpose that we find, is found in the reality that we're pilgrims. There's a larger story. If you read the book of Philippians, which I want to encourage you to do, it'll take you about... 12 to 15 minutes this afternoon and it will be well worth your time and when you do you're going to be amazed at the sacrifice that's in it the hope that's in it and the substance that's in it and I'm going to I'll guarantee you you read it this afternoon you're going to find that the promises of God and that it will be like medicine for your soul but right now I want to point you to one specific place it's chapter 3 verses 20 and 21 uh, Paul says to the Philippian church he says I want to remind you and we're going to talk about this more uh, later I want to remind you he says that you are a citizen of of heaven that you're not primarily your primary identity is not citizenship in whatever country you're from whatever social status that you have whatever resources that you offer whatever family you come from your primary identity when you belong to the one who reigns Jesus Christ who has been exalted and sits at the, uh, on the throne one day every knee will bow and tongue will confess You're a citizen of heaven. You are going somewhere. We are going to make it home. This life is not all that there is, that there is an eternal reality, that there is a larger story. And if you remember the way we put this a few weeks ago, you are the subject, not the subject of the story that all of life revolves around, but you are the subject of the king and he is going to keep his promises. You're citizens of heaven. So we have this greater identity, this pilgrim journey and it connects to the beginning part of our passage if you remember back in chapter 1 verse 27 paul is talking uh challenging the philippian church to live lives worthy of the gospel of god and when he does that you can look at the greek in that passage and see that it actually unpacks and using the same language as he uses in uh, chapter 3 verse 20 it could be translated this that you can live your life as worthy citizens of the gospel Understanding that you have a greater identity and that the response to belonging to God is living life as a pilgrim. Knowing that we're passing through. Not having to hold on to this world for hope, but having the freedom to open our hands and to share the love that we've been shown. Eugene Peterson has a classic book on discipleship. It's called... A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Did you like that pause? It was really because I couldn't remember, but I drew you in. What's the name of the book? A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. It's a really helpful book. He talks about different discipleship disciplines using the Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent were sung by the people of God as they wandered, journeyed from all over Israel up to Jerusalem for different festivals, pilgrimages to worship multiple times a year. These songs were the lyrics for their life as they journeyed. Um, and he does a great job unpacking them. Uh, all of the uh, life of, of the Christian, of the people of God, is described as a journey through Scripture. Uh, whether that's the uh, people who, uh, of God who uh, followed Abraham, uh, Abraham's offspring who went into Egypt or left Egypt. Uh, after uh, the exodus and we're going to the promised land and whether it was the people from the promised land that were taken into exile and the exiles were promise of going to the promised land but there will be a messiah who comes uh, demonstrates the eternal rule of god that is going to call his people into the new heavens and the new earth we are a people who journey and god gives us language for our lives in this journey the psalms of ascent and Peterson uses uh, a, a, a contrast that I think is really helpful for us. And it's a contrast between a tourist mentality of our faith and a pilgrim's mentality of our faith, a discipleship mentality to our faith. Uh, I, I did print out a, a whole page and a half of Peterson's book to read it to you, and then I realized that when I read things to people, they often go to sleep, uh, right? You read things to people at bedtime, so I'm not going to do that, but here's the essential nature of the contrast, is that uh, people who are Tourists go somewhere. He says, tourists in their faith go to a building. They go to certain holy high holidays. They go to their tradition. They go to where they feel comfortable, when it's convenient for them, and they prioritize their experience. It's self-focused, it's self-centered, and tourists get what they want, get what they paid for, what they deserve, and then they go on. In that kind of self centered, self focused, self preserving, self exalting discipleship cannot sustain you through long winters of darkness. What sustains you, what Peterson uh, prioritizes, is the pilgrim journey. It's really discipleship, it is a long obedience in the same direction, in the title of the book. It is understanding uh, that we are called not to a place, not to an experience, but to a person jesus christ he is god and our worship of him is a living active relationship and he is not only the destination but he's also the way the pilgrim path he says in john 14 i am the way the truth and the life hebrews 12 he has gone before us the author and perfecter of our faith the great pathfinder so we have the freedom and the opportunity to fix our eyes on jesus and when we understand the nature of participation that paul prioritizes in this passage of philippians but also that the larger redemptive history acknowledges and we can be free from the idols of our heart and the idols and entrapments of our culture we can be free to not use god but free to follow god to enter into secure resting in his finished work and his love. We don't see faith as a place we visit, but a person that we worship and that we trust. The San Antonio economy struggles when tourism's down. Your faith will flourish when tourism mentality is killed. We understand that we're part of a larger story of God's redemptive plan. We have a greater identity, but secondly, we're participation uh, it we're partners in participation. We're part of a a larger community, and this is where we're introduced to Timothy and Epaphroditus. But first, uh, we look at Timothy, and Timothy was um, uh, a very beloved son of Paul—not literally, but a son in faith. You can read about their intimate relationship in First and Second Timothy. But you're first introduced to him in Acts chapter sixteen. Uh, he uh, joined Paul and Silas when they went to on the second missionary journey to Philippi. Uh, And you realize quickly that Timothy is a guy who doesn't find his identity in the reality that his dad was Greek and that his mom was Jewish and that he he had uh, different cultural identities. He didn't find his identity in his social status. He didn't find his identity in his physical status. But he found his identity in his faith, and his faith was formed by his mama and his grandmama. Just basic, sacrificial shaping and love of Timothy led him to do whatever needed to be done to reach people for Christ. And he joined Paul on the missionary journey. In the life of Timothy, described by Paul in this passage, shows us what it looks like to participate as partners. Look down in the passage uh, with me in uh, verse Um, 19 were introduced to Timothy he wanted to send Timothy to you soon so that you too may be cheered by news of you for I've got no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare for they all, that's everyone else seeks their own interests and not the interests of those who follow Christ so genuine partnership comes with this reality that you care more for the welfare of the church, that's what Timothy did than you do for your own welfare and Paul wants to highlight this so much that he says not like everybody else who just cares about themselves is it possible to be in the church yes yes, it is is it possible to be in the church and, and and to serve and to say that we worship Jesus but only really worship and serve ourselves yes it is how do we move From this tourist mentality that's about my experience and me feeling good to a place where we really genuinely love one another. See, Paul's clear in the echoes of this passage. He's taking you right back to where he just came from. Chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Though he was in the form of God, he didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. He took the form of man, the form of a servant, and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is why Paul says, have this mind among yourselves. Do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought, but think of others as more significant than yourselves. Uh, That's exactly how Timothy is described. Timothy didn't arrive there on his own self-resolve. I'm going to do it. But he was ambushed and secure in the love of Jesus Christ. And he just showed his love to others for their welfare, for their well-being, for their health. You see, this idea of participation, this idea of being partners in the gospel, it's a theme that runs all the way through this passage, and it comes from exactly what Becky talked about last week, this fellowship. The same word for fellowship, koinonia, the koinon Greek word, runs all the way through this book. And I want to read you some quick highlights. You'll see them on the screen and, and uh, these are thematic highlights and uh, uh, linguistic highlights. The words match up. Uh, one, five. there's partnership in the gospel. They have the same work. One, seven partakers of the same grace. They have the same source we have the same source of life and hope. Uh, Fourteen and nineteen of chapter one, partnership in prayer. We have the same dependency, the same call, the same love to, to really carry one another's burdens and intercede. Uh, for one another 127 striving together side by side we have the same steps together uh, we, Paul says serving with Paul for the gospel it's the same purpose we'll unpack this verse in a second 225 fellow brother fellow worker fellow soldier all of those are that same root word uh, participation as a brother a fellow worker and fellow soldier 317 Paul says join in imitating me that's, that's the level of partnership that there's a similarity not to the apostle, but Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. Four three, labor side by side with me. We have the same work. 4.15, there is a partnership in both giving and receiving. It's reciprocal because our primary identity is not our country. It is not our culture. It is not the causes that we support. Our primary identity is not how, what our social status is, what our significance is, or how many people think you're important. Our primary identity is the person and work of Jesus Christ. By his blood, we are covered, so we have mutual participation in one another's lives. This is a historic reality in the church, a constant call of apostles for the church, and it is something that the Reformed faith celebrates as well. I want to show you uh, one of my favorite places we see that. I'm going to ask you to read this with me, the Heidelberg Catechism. It comes from the Lord's Day 21, question 55. Please read the response with me. Uh, what do you understand by the communion of the saints? Everyone, first, that believers, all and everyone, as members of Christ, have communion with him and share in all his treasures and gifts. Second, that everyone is duty-bound to use their gifts readily, cheerfully, for the benefit and well-being of others. You could translate that, the welfare of others. You see the, you see the parts of that? Secure in Christ, All of us are members of Christ. We have communion with him. All the riches of Christ are yours. Secondly, significance. So that we are duty-bound, because Christ has loved us, to love cheerfully and consider the benefit and well-being of others. How do we get there? We allow ourselves to be ambushed by the love of Christ. We open our hearts to the grace and love that comes from heaven alone, the citizen of heaven, Jesus Christ, who came to live on this earth. And then we'll open our hands to serve one another. And the process, when you open your hands after your heart's been filled, you drop your idols. <laughs> you drop your idols that you hold to rather than opening your hands and serving. It all starts with the grace of God touching our hearts. A third thing that we see is that participation, it doesn't just look like that we're pilgr- pilgrims. There's a larger story. We're partners in a larger community. But, we're participants. We actually have this strong purpose of participating in God's glory story. And we're introduced to that through the work of Epaphroditus. You know, Paul says in verse 25, I thought it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, and he calls him five things. You know, if I'm Epaphroditus, I would want to be called five different names than Epaphroditus. I mean, that's kind of a funny name, isn't it? Epaphroditus. If, you're, if your name's Epaphroditus, I, from up front, apologize for making a joke out of that. But Paul gives four different, five different names to Epaphroditus. He says, my brother. <laughs> my brother. Moving from friends to family. He calls him my fellow worker partners in purpose. He calls them my fellow soldier. You know, there's nothing more uniting than sharing trenches with somebody in warfare. And if you want to grow more intimate in your marriage or your family or your friendships, get on mission. Go forward. Get shoulder to shoulder. Fellow soldier. And then the fourth and fifth thing, he says, your messenger in my minister. It's all from this passage. Five different times is so personal. Participating in, a, in, in God's glory story, it, it gives us this new identity, a new community in it. A new purpose, a primary purpose. I'm not Mitchell Moore. I am child of God, loved and redeemed, reconciled to God, called to be a reconciler in this world. Paul uses the language in 2 Corinthians 5 of an ambassador for Christ, a completely new purpose to bring order to the cross like what will be in the new heavens and the new earth right here and right now through the finished work of Jesus. It's personal, but it's also practical. I mean, Epaphroditus, his sacrifice was super clear. Look at the way it's described in verse 27. He was ill to the point of death. In verse 30, twice, he was doing the work of Christ. He risked his life to complete what was lacking for the Philippian church. Sacrifice is the shape of the practical practice of participation in God's great glory story. It necessitates that we serve and not seek to be served, that we love, not seek to be loved, because we have been loved and served by one who came, Mark 10, 35. Not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We come, uh, we emerge from a love of a father who showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's why Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, that we should be imitators of God, walking in love giving our lives as he gave his life for us this is a normal paradigm family brothers sisters we sacrifice for siblings fellow workers we sacrifice for a greater goal of the team god's team fellow soldiers we sacrifice moving the mission forward what's that mission God's glory to cover the earth. We pray it all the time. Your kingdom come, your will be done. That's the mission. And that's the opportunity that we have. The glory of God on our bad days. If you're like me, then your bad day looks like being really self focused, really self serving, really self protecting, really self promoting. On your bad days, if you're like me, you look at your circumstances. It's dark, so I'm going to be discouraged and depressed and in despair. It's cold. The future's uncertain. I'm just going to be apathetic. I don't care about you. I care about me. But on my good days, on my good days, I'm healthy, spiritually healthy. I find that there's actually life in living and loss. That You begin your day, and I'm going to challenge you to do this, just to begin your day receiving my healthy days, I start my day saying, Lord, I receive your love today. I don't deserve it, but I receive it. Your mercies are new every morning. I receive your mercy. Today, Lord, I choose to accept your faithfulness, even though I've been unfaithful. Today, Lord, I, I choose to accept your goodness, even though life doesn't seem good or Every day on my healthy days, I'm starting my day saying, Lord, I choose to receive your light, even though it's dark outside. Your love, even though I've got hate in my heart, evil that I still battle. I receive your selfless love, even though I'm selfless. I long to show it to others, your love. I want to tell you something, friends, something I found personally. You will not find significance or satisfaction in self-absorption, self-promotion, self-preservation. You just won't. It's a dead-end road. It's empty. That's what I've experienced. So how do we, how do we have this practical nature? Hey, look, it starts with being intentional. We, we've all got these masks on, right? No one woke up with this mask on. You all put it on. If you did wake up with your mask, if you're that paranoid, please let's talk and pray after this, all right? It's okay. It's all right. You know, uh, you know, we we wear these masks, and, and these masks have become a normal, a normal part of life. But you've got to actually put them on and take it off. You've got to you got to be intentional. And just a little side note, my <laughs> I, I couldn't find my mask this morning. Actually, I I, uh, I did find my mask. My wife told me not to wear it. I didn't know till I got here. I saw them get here that they had used my mask to clean up my dog's saliva, and that was maybe why I shouldn't. So I grabbed this, and it happens to be my son's mask. And I'm, I'm accused, you know, of, uh, of, of, of mask swapping, right? Like free love masker. You need a mask, or use one of mine. Can I use one of yours? I don't have one, yeah. There's those kind of folks. But there's also those kind of folks that haven't changed their mask like the whole pandemic. We know who you are, <laughs> right? Yeah, that, there's those folks. There's, there's people who wear uh, the real designer masks that match their outfits. You know, those intimidate me. You know, it's like that is like a thoughtful mask wearing. Then you got the mask from the people who, you know, they, when they take them off, they, like, hang down here. It's like, is that a food catcher? You're going to save your food for later? And then you got the ones that hang on the side, and I feel like I should call them doctor, right? It's like, do you want to be an MD? Is that what this is all about? you got the gator mask that people pull up, uh, right? Those are super cool. You yeah, know, you got those masks happening. Some of them, I think, are scarves stolen from wives on the way out, but that's for a later discussion. Here's the point. These don't happen unless you're intentionally putting them on and taking them off it's the same with showing the love of Jesus it's not going to happen unless we're intentional about it we prioritize it and it begins with receiving the practical nature uh, of showing the love of God it's super simple look at the examples of this passage first, Timothy Timothy is celebrated as a man of faith how did he get there? (laughs) his mama and his grandmama they just loved him they discipled him You want to excel in being someone who finds significance in sharing the love of Christ? Start in your home. Start with the people you live with. Start with your family. There's nothing more missional than families who decide to cultivate regular Bible reading, daily prayer, meditating on God's Word, celebrating and cultivating the fruit of the Spirit. Nothing's more missional than that, than at home. Whoever you live with, even if you live alone, to call people that you know that are family or are like family and cultivate what is of Christ. It doesn't happen by accident. It's not like you're watching Netflix and another show, what pops up? That happens. You've got to stop and you've got to go in another direction. It's a discipline. It's a long obedience and responding to God's grace. That's Timothy. Look at Epaphroditus. (laughs) Like, it's not like the Apostle Paul is holding out an example that we can't obtain. Some guy that has a cape in his in, in his in his free time is like some super Christian. No. You know how Epaphroditus is described? A messenger. He's a mailman. He delivered a letter. And then what did he do that was so heroic? He got sick. That's it. A man that was faithful to do what God called him to do, just carrying a piece of paper to Paul, bringing greetings, showing love, and then he got sick doing it. It cost him something. And he loved people so much that he wanted to go back with the Philippian church to assure them that he was going to be okay. That is not rocket science. And when God's calling us to find lives of significance that come from the security that we have in the finished work of Jesus Christ, it is immensely practical It is how you greet people, how you love people, how you share what you have, how you look at people, how you think about people, whether or not you stop for people, whether or not you really listen, share, and love right where you are, right where you live. I'm going to end with this. How do you spell love? Can I hear everybody spell it again? It's just simple love. Jesus Christ left the throne room of heaven. He stepped down and came to earth. And then he taught us that if we really want to find our lives, then we lose them. L, we lose our lives so that others can live. O, Jesus Christ was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He was a servant. What does O stand for for us? Others. We're not the subject of the story. We're subject to the King and our king served us, and we get to serve one another. V, he voluntarily gave his life for you. He died so that you could live. He was wounded so that you could be healed. He took your sins so that he could give you righteousness and forgiveness. We voluntarily show grace. We voluntarily show love. We voluntarily show the fruit of the Spirit. We do it. We choose to because we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And if you sit here and here today and you say, hey, I don't know if I can do that. I don't know what you're talking about, Mitchell. I really think my faith is more about just coming to church. This building, I've got to have my dependencies of my traditions. If that's you today, if you haven't really been ambushed by the love of Jesus Christ, if you're in here and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, as your King, if you haven't experienced His love, then come to Him. He invites you. He's accomplished everything. Voluntarily give Himself to you. But if you know Jesus, and he is your Lord and Savior, you're without excuse. You have Holy Spirit inside of you. We put to death the deeds of the flesh so that we can live as children of God, Abba, Father. We have Holy Spirit. And that's for everyone. That's the E. Everyone who belongs to Christ, and for everyone that we encounter in everything, in every moment. That's significance, church. And it's more significant than a celebrated sea captain that kept 27 people alive. Because we have a celebrated king who dies so that everybody who believes will have eternal life. And he gives us an identity that is greater than anything you can t- touch or smell or feel. And that identity gives us a citizenship in heaven from the man of heaven. Oh, so we can be pilgrims knowing that we don't have to be possessed by anything in this world. And I'm just realizing I'm walking right in front of James in pandemic time. I'm sorry I wasn't keeping my social distancing. But listen, church, as pilgrims, we are going to somewhere greater, and we have the power of that place in our hearts now, and we can participate as partners in this community and as participants in His glory story. We're going home. We're going home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have shown your love to us. I pray that you'd give us the hope of heaven, the hope of home. I believe, Lord, that when we find our significance in your work, that we are secure in your love, that the difficulties and dangers and discouragement of 2020 will be resurrected, and that we will look back not as this being the worst year ever, but, Lord, we can find the resurrection hope and power of the Lord that this could be the best year ever because you are a God who redeems, you are a God who restores, you are a God who gives us total security in your love and I pray that we would find complete significance in your purposes for us. Thank you for loving us and by your spirit help us to love uh, this world and one another we pray in Jesus' name. All God's people said, amen.